This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses Season 7, Episode 9, Microcasting. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. We're taking questions from Twitter that we asked for um, for a while ago. Please don't tweet at us right now because this <laughs> happened months ago now. But we're just going to try and get through as many of these as we can. What should you do if you don't like any of your characters? Write a different book. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah. If you don't like your characters, you're in the wrong place. If you don't um, like your characters, your readers won't like them either. I suggest, um, if you don't like your characters, make them more quirky, give them more conflict, um, and have them be passionate about some interesting, different things. And give them at least one thing they're really good at. Okay, yeah. All right, next question. How do you keep your plot on track instead of letting it wander? I outline. Okay. Yeah, outline. Um, (laughs) Love your characters for the right reasons, um, and don't let your characters make decisions that are off the outline and your characters need to be making decisions based on character quirks and whatever that are in the outline and that way there won't be any surprises um my suggestion on this one would be to um even if this is going to be a problem for a discovery writer not so much for an outliner if you're a discovery writer try to sit down when you're going to write a chapter and say i want to accomplish x y and z in this chapter even though you're not outlining give yourself a specific Mm -hmm set of goals related to the character motivations or the overall, overall plot and achieve those in that chapter. Okay? Urban fantasy. Is it better to use names of places that are real or should you ghost them with a different name? Depends entirely on uh, what you're trying to accomplish and I would say specifically how well you know the setting. Um, I set a book in Chicago because I thought it would be cool, and I ended up going back and taking in almost all the place names out because I just don't know Chicago very well. And so now it takes place in a kind of Springfieldian version of Chicago that can stand in, but if you know the city really well, you won't immediately see all the dumb geographical mistakes I made. I think it's six is the one, half a dozen another. Call your city Metropolis, you get away with some things that you couldn't. Call your city New York, and the New Yorkers love you. So if you get it right... And also, if you actually name it, name things, uh, their actual names, it makes it more grounded. Yes. All right. Let's. Um. Next question. How do you how do you fix plot holes? It's actually pointed at you, Howard. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> plot holes. I never yes. have. I never have plot holes that I can't just paste over. Um. <laughs> I. Uh, gosh. Um big band-aid and a trowel and some spackle. <laughs> yeah, the worst plot hole I ever had, I realized I could fix by taking a Sunday strip that I'd already drawn, moving it forward a week and inserting a week of comics that added some necessarily necessary dialogue to one of the characters to justify the action they were taking. And that's the worst kind of plot hole is when a character is acting out of character. And uh, And that's the closest I've ever come to having to fix something after I've drawn it, uh, which is a disaster. (laughs) Yeah, it's just figure out, most of the time plot holes are when things are happening for, for a reason that is not explained on the page, and you just have to go back, and usually it's inserting a scene or inserting 
character motivation, inserting or, yeah. something. So you figure out what is the reason that this thing is happening that is on the other side of the plot hole, and that will tell you what you need to fill the hole with. Yeah. Okay. How do you know if you should abandon a story and move on to something else? Oh, that's really hard. That is a very difficult one. Um, I have only done this two or three times. I strongly suggest that new writers avoid doing this, number one. Mm -hmm. um, you need to learn to finish things. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, especially if it's your first or one of your very first things you're writing, learning to finish something is more important than writing something awesome. If that yeah, makes we any it, sense. Through, going in through our writers group, uh, we took my brother Randy's uh, uh, science fiction novel, and from the beginning of the novel to the end of the novel, it completely changed flavor. It wandered around. You know, his original premise we shot down in like the first couple of chapters. Half his science uh, we poked holes in. You know, midway through, and he was getting a little discouraged. And we finally said, Randy, uh, this is all stuff you're going to need to rewrite anyway. Um, you're not allowed to quit. Give yeah. us the end of the book. Right. Write all the way to the end of the book because you, you have to be able to do that. And he did. And, and actually, when he got to the end, he, he was satisfied. You know, he'd, he'd finished. The, and now you can see the beginning and the middle and the end, and you can decide whether or not this is something that can be fixed or whether it's time to take lessons learned into a new manuscript. I will say, let me give you the examples of when I did it, just so you know. The first time I abandoned a book is because I felt I was retreading ground in previous books I'd written before and was not adding anything new for myself um, or for my readers. Uh, this was before I was published. But um, that was my first reason. My second reason was because the book just didn't work. The book was subpar. It, um, it failed. Um, and that's the thing I can't explain to you new writers. When I knew, because by then I was a really professional writer. I published a number of books. The book was a failure. Was it, that the Death by Pizza? No, Death by Pizza, I didn't abandon. It was just a fun experience. This was actually um, Liar of Partnell. The book mm. didn't work. Characters didn't work. Setting didn't work. It was not something I wanted to release. Uh, so I abandoned it. I, I think one of the, the things for me, and this is a, this is a really hard thing, um, if it is not something that I would want to read, yeah. Um, if someone else had written this, and if it was in its perfect form, then I, and I still would not want to read it, then it is, it is something that I should probably set aside. Um, and I've done that with short stories, um, where I realized, much like yeah. you, it's like, ah, this is. Yeah. Done. If I've stopped, if I've stopped loving something that I'm writing, uh, and that's happened several times as I've been, uh, you know, working on creating a prose career for myself. Um, I have to ask myself why I've stopped loving it. Yeah. And in some cases, it's because I realize exactly that. This has turned into a story that is not the story I want to tell. Um, but the fact that it's happened multiple times, I have to very carefully look at what's happening and say, all right, do I want to quit because I've gotten to one of the hard bits? Right. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have gotten through a hard bit back into satisfying territory so that you can know what that feels like before you can confidently let go of something. And this is why I suggest new writers stay away from it. You're going to hit the hard bits and think you're no longer in love with this story when really you've just hit the hard bits. Yeah. Um, all right, next one. This one's a little bit easier. How do you make sure the answers to mysteries or questions are satisfying? It's something we have to answer often on writing excuses. Make I promises. do this by, by writing yeah. backwards, yep. figuring mm -hmm. out a really satisfying answer and then building toward that rather than the other way around. Find out what your promises are. If you are fulfilling the promises, the right ones, it'll be satisfying. 
Yeah. The uh, when I, I talked a little bit about the uh, uh, puzzle box issue, you know, where I know what's in the box and I'm writing backwards from there. I need to make sure that the possible answers to what is in the box are also satisfying so that when we get to the, the final answer, uh, we've been satisfied all the way through. It's not that the solutions uh, or the, the hypothesized solutions to the mystery have been wrong and boring. It's that they've all been interesting. And when you finally get to the right one, it's also interesting and you really enjoy the whole ride. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay. Um, let's stop for our book of the week. Dan, book of the week. What is our book of the week this week? I have a book coming out this week, but I, it's not on Audible yet. Oh, isn't it? Oh, I don't okay. think so, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, All very right, briefly. Uh, my brand new series coming out from Balzer and Bray. It's called Partials. It's post-apocalypse science fiction. It comes out on Tuesday, the 28th of February, uh, which is just a couple days away. So go and buy it. Um, I, I, I hope it's on Audible, but I cannot confirm that. Okay, just in case it's not, let's have um, you talk about the Sean McGuire book. Ah, uh, yes. Sean McGuire um, has a book called One Salt Sea, which is in the October Day series. One of the things that's fun about this book is that uh, Toby goes under the sea, so we get to see a completely different fae culture. Oh, um, cool. So, Really interesting murder mystery and uh, and very uh, a lot of world broadening. And again, you know, disclaimer: I narrated it, so I am partial to it. So, how which can brings us this? back around to partials. To partials, <laughs> which is a brilliant new science fiction series by Dan Wells. But if you head out to audiblepodcast.com/excuse, you can uh, kick off a free 14-day trial membership there at Audible. Um, Download a copy of uh, Sean and McGuire's One Salt Sea. One Salt Sea. And if Partials is out there, you might be able to take a look at that as well. Awesome. Um, so cool. Okay, more microcasts. Um, what are some language level mistakes that mark writing is amateurish? Using the same adverb a lot. Okay. Even and you can, you overusing can even say, adverbs in yeah, general. Yeah, using, overusing adverbs in, in general, but uh, using the same one a lot. One for me is Dantara Bang. I know some people really like it. Um, in fact, I had a big argument um, with a well-published and popular author. This is the question mark exclamation point used together. Um, you see it in comics. It's not used in fiction very often, and a lot of editors will look at that as amateurish. If you love the Dantara Bang and are an Dantara Bang advocate, go ahead and use it. But if you are not, if you're just using it because you've seen it, it will mark you as looking amateur. 
Another one is a sentence stru structure that is the same sentence after sentence after sentence. Mm. Yep. All your sentences are the same length and they're built the same way. Yeah. Passive language, a lot Especially of passive very voice passive. is mm -hmm. very amateurish. Voice is a big and one. I would say also absolutely no passive no voice whatsoever is right. an overcorrection. Yeah. And will also mark you as amateurish. Yep. Um, said bookisms, um, I used way too much of them when I was early. This is when you use something instead of said. A Tom Swifty kind yeah. of thing. But you don't have to go so far in genre fiction. I mean, um, if you look at, at, at J.K. Rowling, she uses a large number of them, but I think she uses them correctly. She's a good example of, um, of when you replace said with something else if you prefer to do that. Now, Some editors will like you to do it, not my, at all. My favorite book review of all time was Stephen King talking about uh, the final Harry Potter book, mm -hmm. saying that if you took all the adverbs in that book and put them together, it would be a novel all unto itself. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Um, what should a scene consist of? I don't know if that's one that we can even answer. I can do that okay. quickly. Go um, for it. So your scene needs to have uh, setting, character, and plot. And um, you can do those in varying degrees. Okay. But every scene should try to contain those three. I feel that every scene should have a bit of rising and, um, and not necessarily falling action in every scene. Mm -hmm. But it should start introduce a problem of some sort and deal with that problem in some way. Yes. I would say that, that. It, for, the, for the writer, um, the scene is going to contain um, one or more, preferably more than one, objectives. Yeah. What do you want to accomplish with this scene? Exactly. Um, the, that... the reader won't, won't know that you've set goals for yourself, but you need to have those goals as you're writing the scene so that it goes someplace. Yeah. Well, and it has to be something that you cannot accomplish in one of your other scenes. You're right, because if is... you can, then you don't need that scene. And you're right. This is something we could do in a time. Yep. We'll, we'll do a podcast on scene construction eventually. But... Can of scenic worms. <laughs> <laughs> um, what kind of bacon is best, Dan? Oh, boy. It's hard <laughs> to say. I am a fan of streaky bacon, which okay. is what the British just call American bacon. I like fake and bacon. <laughs> I like samgyeopsal, Korean bacon. I like a really thick-sliced... Uh, just straight smoked bacon underneath real maple syrup. Okay, we were oh, supposed to laugh at that and move on. No, <laughs> no. Here, I, I got to tell you, my favorite bacon dish, first of all, I love a good bacon maple bar, but the best use of bacon I've ever encountered is rouladen. It's a German dish that's bacon and pickles and steak all kind of wrapped around on uh, each other with mustard and, and no, here saying, mary so is mostly vegetarian i'm and saying so. you know like a piece of nice thin tempeh you smoke it a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i've had tempeh it's pretty good but okay serious question um howard why is your lovable pile of poo, poo likable instead of gross and how can we apply that to our writing those who don't know, he has a sentient um, being who looks a bunch like a pile of poo. It's an alien who's very hard to relate to, and yet he's lovable. Why? Most of the time, all we are seeing is his face or his hands. Uh, we rarely see him from an angle where his resemblance to poo is absolutely unmistakable. And most of the time... He's expressing himself, you know, big smile or, you know, huge open-mouthed agonized frown, big eyes. These are things that we recognize in, in comics and in illustration. Uh, they, they turn something into a person. 
You know, yeah. you put it you put it on a pizza box and it becomes a mascot for a pizza company. You put it on a wall and it becomes a horrifying feature of your house. Um, that's probably <laughs> a bad example. Um, now, the, the, the medium also plays into this a lot. Um, if you tried to do a live action schlock mercenary movie, it would look so disgusting. It's uh, not that it would look disgusting. It's that it would look horrifying. When, uh, yes. when uh, Doc Nickel uh, fashioned for me a life-size version of Sergeant Schlock's plasma cannon, and I held it up and realized, wow, yep, that's the size I imagined it being. And then I imagined Schlock holding it at the proportion he was at and imagined them making a movie. I then imagined the producer looking at that movie and saying, wait a minute, what happened to the lovable pile of poo? What is this horrifying 500-kilogram monster uh, interacting? This is this is terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah, medium. In, in small, cartoony sizes he works perfectly that said i want to see the live action version because i think it'd be awesome when he ate someone <laughs> <laughs> all right we're going to use one of these as our um as our writing prompt how about this one um do blog posts and D play by post game post game posts count for nanorimo so in other words do blog posts count for <laughs> nanorimo so you are going to do a narrative blog post we'll just use this guy's uh, thing as your writing prompt, I want you to write a blog post in character for one of your characters if they had a blog. Okay? Okay. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 